No, this is, actually, let's go back to the beginning. Mm. Uh, first, and, first and foremost, I'm the uh, the son of Doris and Ivory. I'm the uh, the youngest of, of three sons in my family. I'm the uh, father of, of uh, Aisha, Jamila, Imani, and Latifa, and the grandfather of four. Those are, are my most important credentials. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, a tribe, family. I love that the lineage is important. And were you Absolutely. just always an interested? Were you always interested in psychology as a kid, or did you kind of just uh, step into it? Well, actually, uh, when I was growing up, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in the public housing project, and I was uh, the youngest son of a single parent. Okay, so growing up was very, very, very tough in the projects and all of the challenges I had to deal with just getting to and from school. Um, I had a whole lot of issues myself. I had a lot of problems. And I learned in eighth grade that uh, psychologists help people solve problems. And I decided to become a psychologist then. Uh, and initially, I might say, I, I uh, thought I was going to go into psychiatry until I realized that psychiatrists are medical doctors and you have to see an awful lot of blood. And I had seen enough growing up in Chicago, so I decided to not go into psychiatry, but to actually go into psychology, which is more of what I wanted to do anyway. Mm -hmm. So I opted out of even approaching a medical school because I just had no appetite for seeing blood. You know, going through a medical program, you have to go through that process working in hospitals and surgery and things like that. So I really do not want to do that because I saw people cut up pretty bad in Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, Literally, okay. I, so I, I was like, nah. Trust me. I can imagine that. I Immediately when you said the south side of Chicago, it didn't sound too surprising to me based on just the little that you gave um, in the summit that, that I met you in over the weekend, the mental health and for black men. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things I'm – pulling also from just that little introduction and thank you for it mm-hmm. is did you feel like you were being a superhero oh absolutely not absolutely mm. not i felt like i and, and i still feel the same way now i'm just an average brother from the south side of chicago okay that's who and what i am and and, and the people scratch the surface too deeply it'll come out Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so that is always part of, of who and what I am. Now, I'll tell you, when I decided to, to uh, go into psychology, yeah. you know, I, now, I have a lot of issues of my own, but I felt that if I could resolve my own issues, I, I might be worthy to help somebody else. Right. So I didn't go into psychology to help other people. I went into psychology to help me. Yes. First and foremost, because there's a lot of wounded healers out there, as you know. Yes. You know, they yes. have a lot of stuff that they need to heal from, and they're not even addressing it, yet they call themselves trying to help other people. So yep. I recognized early on that I had to help me. So you know, the old saying about charity starts at home, you know, healing yes. starts with oneself. And because yes. I truly, um, truly believe that it's impossible to help others effectively unless we've been able to help ourselves. Um, so yes. I, um, so I went through uh, college my first couple of years in Kansas. I wanted to get as far away from Chicago as I could. Ah, that's my next question. You know, once you decided uh-huh. that you can see a way to free yourself and, and use it in the lightest way, you know, heal yourself even, I could resonate with that at one point in my practice before I started the podcast or even considered myself healing, mm-hmm. I I wondered if I was being an imposter, you know, to your point mm-hmm. that I knew mm-hmm. I still had work to do, but I had proof that some of this stuff actually works. And the stuff yep. that works, I, I'm willing, and this is the space I try to grow better in, is offer it in, in a way that if those who are willing to step forward too, they too can try these practices to see if they can get some freedom. But you seem to have taken it to another step. You went in, you went to college for it. How was that for you? Well, um, it was good. Uh, once again, I needed to really go away from Chicago, and I went to a 
place that had 600 students. Mm. Uh, there were five blacks, five Negroes, and five African Americans. Mm. <laughs> I don't say wow. that in jest because you know these these brothers and sisters came from all kinds of places, and uh, yeah. some of them had little black consciousness, and others had you know quite a bit. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but my take was to go there and to take as many psychology classes as I could, and then to transfer back to Illinois. Which is what I did. I ended up uh, transferring to uh, Millican University, which is in Decatur, Illinois, um, and I uh, received my bachelor's in experimental psychology. Uh, it took me about three years to finish because I went during the summer and um, took overloads. I wanted to get in and get out as quickly as I could because I, could, I was paying for it myself. I didn't have any scholarships or any uh, anything other than loans. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and plus, I worked for a time at night, so I was able to you know, uh, pay for a lot of my education out of my pocket. I also got mm-hmm. some um, um, student loans that took me forever to pay back. <laughs> um, so anyway, after I finished my uh, bachelor's uh, in about three years, I went to, uh, to Eastern Illinois University where I got my master's in psychology and that took me about one year because once again I'm the type of student I need to get in and get out because it's expensive the longer you stay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean really I'm very pragmatic. It's like hey, no, no, I, 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 I need laugh. to do <laughs> I laugh because I agree with it. I agree with it. My father has a similar approach. When he went back mm-hmm. to school, he be just he became a beast. He would study day in, day night because his goal was pretty much the same. It's expensive and I don't have time. And so he really yep. needed to get, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I would, I would call him sometimes and he'd be just up studying or he'll fall asleep reading and look at him now. He's, you know, he's in a happier place with all that hard work. So hearing that mm-hmm. you finished out your clinical psychology degree from Eastern Illinois in just one year, that's impressive as well as I could, un- and it's a master's, I could understand that it was hard. Um, you well, said, well, uh-huh. go ahead. Yeah. Uh- Oh, yes, it was. And once again, I worked at night uh, and went to school during the day. But 10 years later, after I uh, moved to uh, to Colorado, I finished my master's in 1976 um, yeah. and moved to, 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 to uh, Colorado Springs, where I lived, uh, in 1977. And... Mm-hmm. Um, about 10 years after I finished my master's, I decided to go to the University of, of Denver for my doctorate. So yes. My doctorate is in clinical psychology. I have a, what, what they call a PSYD. It's uh, similar to a PhD, except with a PhD. That means, uh, uh, you know, doctorate in philosophy. Yes. Whereas the, the PSYD is his doctorate in psychology. Ooh. So there's lots of people with, with PhDs. But not well, a lot with PSY. Right, right, right. Because uh, I have the clinical degree, which means that that is my specialty. In contrast with the PhD, any, you know, you can have a specialty in anything and be called a PhD. So it's very um, ambiguous, if you will. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's just easier for them. That's why they chose the PhD versus the PSYD. You're in a, you well, know. the... Well, well, actually, the PhD is for people who are going to be working like full time on the tenure track in the university or college. They require a PhD, whereas in my case, I'm a I'm a clinician, I'm a practitioner, and uh, and the uh, PSYD came into existence in the early '70s as being a way to distinguish those clinicians from those academics. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm not an and, 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 uh, and, uh, um, academic, even though I taught as an adjunct professor for about 26 years. My my specialty is practicing psychology, not uh, doing research in psychology, even though I can do that too. Yeah, no, and that's kind of what, I, what I'm kind of understanding. I don't know much about it, but listening to what you're saying, it's, you know, it seems like the practice part of it means work means you're going to have to go out there and work with the people where on the other hand, the other end, you can just be theoretical all day 
and you know just Basically. point to books and point to books and reference people that have already gone but you're out in the streets as we would say you know working with people and it seems to be an active degree not something you do and then you say you have but something you apply in your everyday life as part of your practice so is that is that what brought on the black focus the black male focus the the achieving healthier lifestyle the Denver Rocky Mountain Associations of Black Psychologists? Like, what brought that space in? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's a very good question because in 1977, when I moved to Colorado, there was only one other African-American clinician in the city. Oh, wow. Okay, and, uh, and he and I both worked for the same mental health center. So I found out, uh, because I tend to be a person who get out and I find out who's connected to what and find out where the resources are that I can tap into and also assist with, I found out that there was a group of people, uh, black psychologists, wanting to get together and form an association of, of black psychologists as, as a chapter of the national organization. So we got together and we started to meet, and our first meeting was September 1977 in Denver. And we came together. We actually made a formal decision. We had one, one brother out of Laramie, Wyoming, who came all the way down to Denver to join because he was up to isolated by himself. Uh, and the uh, two of us from uh, Colorado Springs and most of the people lived in the Denver metro area. So we started the chapter in 1977, uh, became a freestanding Colorado nonprofit organization, and we're not, uh, we're tax exempt, and you know, we got our tax exempt status back 41 years ago. Um, and what we ha what we specialize in is helping to mentor uh, graduate students in psychology, and, and I'm referring to African American or people of African descent uh, psychology majors. We're not interested in helping other folks; they have to help themselves, you know. <laughs> Yes, I do so know. So we don't mentor Caucasians and Latinos who don't identify as being black, okay? Yep. Uh, because uh, there's a lot of uh, Latinos who are black. In fact, my uncle uh, on my mom's side uh, is Cuban, and he's about 10 shades darker than I am. You know? <laughs> but he speaks Spanish, but, but he's not considered to be Latino. You know, that's how white folks divide us against ourselves. Now, that's yes, but anyway. yes. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, so, I, I do um, I do agree with that. That's powerful. That's positive. So when we decided to form the uh, Denver Rocky Mountain Association of Black Psychologists, we had people who are guards through the various Caucasian universities. We were all trained in Caucasian psychology, and but, but we recognized that that was not adequate uh, and definitely not adequate in working with our people, uh, realizing that psychology itself is a cultural endeavor is based upon culture, even though uh, a lot of people want to admit it. It is because, you know, our culture informs us of what's normal, what's abnormal, what's healthy, what's unhealthy, et cetera. And we have very, very different worldviews and cosmologies and and social realities being, Afri being of African descent versus those folks who are uh, of Caucasian descent and other uh, uh ethnicities, if you will. So we yes. divided, um, in 1968, the Association of Black Psychologists came into existence uh, because there were many black psychologists who were part of the White Psychological Association. Right. It's called the American Psychological Association, right? Right, uh, right. But and American is usually associated for white. Uh -huh. Americans uh -huh. usually uh -huh. associated for white, not necessarily for anybody else. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I can simply substitute the word, you know, because what they, what they were doing was just really supporting and emphasizing and perpetuating white culture. So the type yeah. of research that, that the white psychologists did, uh, they always got into this comparison, uh, you know, like uh, comparing us to them. And, of You're course, right. in their hierarchy, they're at the top of the hierarchy and we're at the bottom. Always. So they, uh, so, so they created a lot of theor theoretical models uh, and theories about how inferior black folks are. 
And mm-hmm. what what the founders of the Association of Black Psychology have said is that basically that's bullshit. You know, we're not conspiracy <laughs> anybody. And mm-hmm. and besides, what makes white people the universal standard of what it means to be healthy? Right. Or oh, because they're the conquerors. Or, you know, only exactly, the winners write history. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so we challenge all of that. And once again, these brothers and sisters who started the association in 1968, these these brothers and sisters have been trained in all of the Eurocentric stuff you can imagine. Okay. But like in 1977, uh, 19, uh, when we developed the uh, Denver Rocky Mountain Association of Black Psychologists as being part of that national organization, we identified the same thing. So we are unapologetically black, okay? We are not psychologists who happen to be black. We're black folks who happen to be psychologists, mm. okay? Yes. So that's, that's a whole different way of thinking, you know, because, yeah. uh, you know, in uh, our, our essence, we know who and what we are. So the type of, type of theories of personality and, uh, and wellness that we develop it's based upon our history and culture and our philosophy and all of the things relevant to us as people of African descent. Yes. Okay. First and yes. foremost. So once again, even though we've been trained in all of the yoki doke <laughs> <laughs> at the various universities and colleges, we understand that for what it is. It has its utility uh, mm-hmm. in its place, but it's only, um, one modality, right? There's, there's plenty others, plenty others, and we create our own based upon our history, cultural, cultural, um, um, cultural uh, history, uh, philosophy, etc. So that's where we're at. And when I got with the Association of Black Psychologists as one of the founding members here, uh, here in Colorado, it's like I was able to actually um, um, meet some awesome people who were very much uh, pro-black and picked no bones about it. So um, throughout the years, uh, you know, most of us became very good friends and we're still friends to this day 45 years later. Um, and it's like uh, we've been involved not only in terms of mentoring programs for our people, but also we help to train uh, other psychologists, social workers, uh, psychiatrists, educators, lawyers, if you go to our website, you'll see uh, about two or three dozen training programs and symposiums and workshops that we've done throughout the years. So, uh, mm. so that's who and what we are. And that's how I end up being involved in because I'm an energetic person. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was identified as being someone who would eventually become leader within the organization. So I became a mm. local uh, officer. I became a treasurer. Uh, uh, president, and eventually I became national president of the uh, Association of Black Psychologists. Um, and I did that for uh, a term. So I've been in, very much involved with the association for the last 45 years, locally and nationally. I understand. So, so I mean, it pretty much drives you. Thank you so much for that great history. It, I was following along, and I have a visual m- memory or a visual mind, or I like to visualize things. So I mm-hmm. can envision this young leader in you, but, you know, let's say a, a young skinny little guy from the south side of Chicago just navigating life and doing their best to be honest with your troubles, concerns, and things that you have grown up with, but also how much of that is shaping you to be a better person each day. And then the psychological traumas mm-hmm. um, that you're experiencing in the early 70s or at least the 60s into the 70s, the 70s and now where you're a man with a degree and somewhat of a purpose you're now being exposed in an environment that's calling you inferior or or making you feel as if all your work to heal yourself is inadequate if it doesn't have a you know a white look to it or a certain degree of ex um ex i would say expectation from them so it 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 seems like you are constantly and again these are my words you are constantly mm-hmm. evolving even though, and evolving mean like learning to grow better with yourself more than you were actually trying to be the answer. So it, it's oh, self-evolving. Okay, it's I don't know how to put it to words. And 
it does that get exhausting? I guess is my question on the back end of that, you know, because you're, you're freeing yourself, but when is too much freedom or is that even a thought? You know, you're a, you're well, a young, young kid from South side uh, of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Is all this just too much work? Do you just need to be that young kid sometimes, or this is your purpose? Like, you know, well, knowing actually, that we're freeing uh, each other from it. Well, actually, uh, it's, uh, it's both and. Okay. First of all, the it's work or, it's never and. ends. Mm. It's both and. Mm. So it's not either or, it's both and. Because the work never ends. You know, as long as uh, we're alive, we're continuing, hopefully, to work on ourselves and to learn more and to improve ourselves as Spike Lee would say, you know, we, we become more better, you know. And, and that process should never end. It is a constant uh, uh, um, evolving uh, a process for all of us because, you know, the ancients knew this so well. And I'm referring to our ancient African ancestors. They knew it so well that, you know, it was about we're, we live in this dimension, and this is only part of our existence. You know, we mm-hmm. are a spiritual being having a physical experience in yes. essence. So we learn as much as we can so we can move on to the next phase, the next level, the next dimension, whatever people call it. But this is not all that there is. And if we think this is all there is, you're right. <laughs> because people <laughs> began to, to die. I get it. Because it, it is whatever you say it is. Psychologically. Yeah. It is yeah. whatever you say uh-huh. it is. Like there's there's uh-huh. no reality, uh-huh. only perception. Fully get that. Fully uh-huh. get that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Dr. Uh-huh. Tony. What do you do on your off days? That you know, you said you were on vacation. You're you're going on vacation when I spoke with you on Sunday or the the Saturday. Are you a gardener? Yeah, what do you tomorrow. do on the side? Well, I'm an organic gardener. Been an organic gardener for a few decades. Um, I grow my own food as much as I can during the spring and summer and early fall. Um, I read a lot. I'm a history buff. I I have a library of all kinds of books regarding us. And even though I'm a psychologist, most of my books are history books, black history mm. books, things mm. which really help me to understand us better. And in understanding yeah. us better, I also understand myself better and how all this fits into this global reality that we exist in. Um, so that's what I do. also uh, dance and I write poetry. and <laughs> I play the, uh, the, the, the June June and the Jim Bay. So I'm an oh, wow. drummer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so here's a question for you. Uh-huh. Here's a question uh-huh. for you. If you if you were to have a superpower, what would it be? Superpower? Yeah, a yeah. Superpower. If you were if you were if you would have a superpower, what would it be? Huh. That's that's an interesting question. I never thought about that. You want me to know why I asked you that question? Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I ask you that because, to me, a young, young forty-two-year-old man, immigrant coming into a world where I had to define myself, you know, you to me are a superhero. Oh, you know? thank you. I never thought of myself as being such. I'm just uh, well, the average brother from the south side of, of Chicago. <laughs> well, it's 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 the simplicity in what I'm hearing you're saying, and then the confidence that it offers. You know, a lot of you, what you're doing for yourself, being a holistic and organic grower and eating your own food and teaching yourself as much as continuing to practice um, expressions of joy, you know, through music or through food or through conversation. These are self tools that we don't necessarily know how to use growing up, um, especially Mm -hmm. in the society that we're given. A lot of it straight up and down is understood for rich white people or old white people mm-hmm. or people who live mm-hmm. in, you know, various places, but not for somebody from the hood or somebody who's impoverished or somebody who, um, who's ever watched BET before. Like, you know, we mm-hmm. just don't have this sense of conditioning or acceptance in our conditioning or freedom from our conditioning that we can do for ourselves in a way like what you're offering yourself in, in what you're saying to me in conversation. So when I ask mm-hmm. about the, the superhero, it's really to think, do you even look up to anyone else? You know, it's, um, we have our history. And, of course, as Africans in exile, I like to call us, you know, the biggest mm-hmm. thing is to to know our history. But to me, yes, 
that's not my superpower. That's me. That's my purpose. You know, uh-huh. my superpower uh-huh. is trying uh-huh. to express my life every day and without the, the uh-huh. conditions or the social norms. So I ask you that only to just pick your brain as well. Uh-huh. Well, um, so uh, I'll <laughs> I have to think about that question a little bit more. But there are Great. all kinds of people who I look up to because I'm a history buff. We have thousands of black folk who are documented, who have been able to beat the odds against the odds. I mean, from the very beginning, I mean, this this experience these last 500 years in the, in the, in the, in the Western Hemisphere, uh, it's just a drop of sand in the ocean of time, just a drop of sand, because we are the, we are the original human beings. We're the mothers and fathers of humankind, and we created the first civilizations thousands of years ago while the Europeans were still in caves. So it's like we have all kinds of wonderful examples of people um, who look like us that I, you know, that I look up to because they were able to accomplish so much despite their personal circumstances. So I look at them and I say, hey, there's no excuse for me not to achieve because you know, as a people, we've already done it, and we have examples that look like us. So we don't have to look any further than than, than looking in, into our mirror because we are our ancestors. You know, they live in us. So it's like you know, we don't have to go outside of of our own people for for examples of excellence and perseverance or anything else because it is all within us anyway. Mm-hmm. Great. Great answer. That's 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 a great answer. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It's it's really up to you. Um, being a child that grew up in the '80s, and most of my associates are anywhere within my age range. We grew up on Saturday morning cartoons. You know, we grew up Uh on the idea of this personified, usually a white male, um, Mm -hmm. is is a is a figure to look up to and is out of this world, you know. And so for us Mm -hmm. earthlings and for us um, blacks who are, you know, coming from, like you say, Chuck and Jive and Bamboozled experience, superheroes Mm -hmm. first would probably have to be black before we even consider them superpowered, Mm -hmm. you know. And Mm -hmm. Marvel, DC, and all of them definitely project that thought in our mind that the black superheroes of those times they were super before they were black. You know, they weren't even accepted uh-huh. in their own community, as, but they're uh-huh. their savior of their community. Uh-huh. So, well, you, uh, know what, you know, when I was growing up, we had, um, you know, the, the Superman, we had the, the, the Zero, we had the Batman, all that stuff. But you know what? I grew up knowing that I was being raised by a superhero, my mother, mm. who raised three, three young men by herself. And she made a hundred dollars a month working as a laundry worker. She had a sixth grade education, but she told us, "Look, you can be anything you want to be if you work hard and smart enough." Okay, so so you know, it just wasn't about working hard, but you had to work smart too. Um, and she set the example for us, and she and, and she also told us that whatever you be, be the best. You know, if you're going to be uh, a carpenter, you know, be the best. If you're going to be a, a criminal, be the best. Don't get caught. <laughs> you know, whatever mm. you're going to be, be the best. Don't settle for mediocrity, okay, mm. at all. She was very clear, even though she only had a sixth-grade education. She gave us all of the tools that we needed, she and, and, uh, and also other elders within our community, including some of our teachers, because I went to all-black elementary school and all-black high school. And the teachers really cared about us, and we knew it. So we had examples of excellence around us all the time. These were people who was uh, who were super, mm-hmm. uh, not with with any of these uh, you know fantasy skills, you know abilities <laughs> that we saw on TV. But these yeah. people, these were were were, were conquerors. You know, mm-hmm. they, they were overcomers, and they they were victors in many ways, and we saw it. So, the, so these people were our role models, not not those characters on TV. <laughs> so we knew if, that all that was just just make believe anyway, you know. Right, <laughs> right, and a lot of it is all illusionary, and uh, having us 
I say us in regards of how I see my society growing up, but having us believe mm-hmm. that there's some pie in the sky, you know, when we're sitting here being disillusioned on earth. And it kind of leads me to my next question. If I say the word mm-hmm. black masculinity, how does that come off to you? Or how could you, what would you say to that? Because you mentioned oh, how your funny. mother was a, a, a superhero for you and you grew up as a young mm-hmm. man. And it seems like there was a lack of a masculine male figure, but knowing that especially our conversation and our meeting on Saturday was really about mm-hmm. the black male and embodying that our history and our mental mm-hmm. health. What do you, what mm-hmm. would you say to those words, black, black masculinity? Well, I would say uh, black masculinity is half of the equation. Positive. Okay. Mm. It's just half. The other half is uh, black femininity. Mm. Because, you know, uh, women are not our opposites. They're our complement, and we're their complements. So when I was growing up, I did not have an absence of, of of a black male role models because we had black teachers, black men teachers. Mm. Now, there were brothers around, they just weren't in my household, <laughs> which was okay because, you know, I would have rather had uh, an absence of a black male rather than to have some of the dysfunctional ones that I saw. <laughs> right, and the back you know, and were, forthness. You know, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I, one of my best friends growing up, uh, he lived right downstairs from me in the same public housing project building. He had a father in the household, but he was a drunk. He stayed drunk most of the time. And if he mm. Friday when he got paid, he would go out, gamble, gamble off all the money, come home and beat everybody in the household because he was mad because he lost his money, right? Wow. Money for rent and food. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. So um, we did not have um, an absence of uh, positive black role models, but we definitely had some uh, uh, bad ones within some of the households. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and um, and 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 that, and that's a whole different story. Being able to, uh, at a at a young age, distinguish what was healthy in our right. community and what was unhealthy, because I saw my uh, uh, best friend's father come home and just he would knock everybody out. He had like seven kids, all of them were were in fear and in danger when he got home. Of course, uh, uh, my uh, friend's my mother eventually kicked him out the house. You know, but it took a, it took a year to do that. You know, uh, so we had those examples. You know, growing up, and for us, it was just uh, something that we had to learn. We, we had to learn what was healthy and what was unhealthy within our community, so that we would not emulate those unhealthy examples. Okay, so I would dare say that was the value of having people like that around because. That was a good example of a bad example. This is how you should not behave towards your wife and, and towards your children, okay? <laughs> um, yeah. So we had those examples loud and clear. Plus we had uh, some of the janitors who were men, some of the teachers who were men, black men, who would sit down with us and say, look, you, look, young blood, let me tell you something. And, you know, all of us were called young bloods because, you know, we were just young guys of the same blood, <laughs> more or less. So they would spend time talking with us. And those of us who were smart enough, we would listen to them. You know, we would give them all of the respect that they would do. So we didn't have knuckleheads curse them out and act a fool with them because it's like I was raised that you don't disrespect your elders or yeah. women. And you don't pick on people younger or smaller than you. And if you did, you were, you know, considered to be a sissy. And nobody wanted to be a sissy because it was like, you know, you're a punk. Right. <laughs> right. So that's how I was raised. And we had some very clear moral ethics about how we treated each other. You know, so, 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 so there were some things people just did not do in my neighborhood. For example, you never disrespect a teacher. One of the worst things you could do when I was growing up would be to have your teacher call home. Right. <laughs> okay. I mean, that was like you would have rather have have the police call than having your teacher call home. You know, it was just like it was right. just like that. So these days, I realize it's uh, totally different. But you know, these are the type of values I grew up with, which helped shape who I am. So being able to be connected with our community is something which just comes natural to me. It's like 
it's not anything extra that I'm doing. It's like this is who I who I am. I'm not from the community. I am the community. in the community, mm. and I'm of a community. So it's not not this uh, 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 schism about well, you know, you have a, a doctorate degree and you're educated. It's like hey, you know, <laughs> all that doesn't count. You can have a GED or PhD or PsyD. It doesn't matter because we're still of the same blood. And I think when right. we forget that, we find ourselves getting in, 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 into some of the typical Eurocentric madness. Yeah. That's and what I, I call I, it. It's just, it's just, just stupidity. And I think um, what I was getting at, it definitely, you're 100% right. You started out with explaining that with the word black, black masculinity, it comes with the balance of feminine masculinity or fem, feminine energy. Um, yes, absolutely. The the goal there, from what I'm getting personally, and then what I'm hearing from what you're saying is, a lot of what we meaning like, let's say from the '80s, the year out the year I was born, from 1980 forward. Mm-hmm. We're under a different set of conditions when it comes to how we live, how we associate, mm-hmm. and what we believe our mm-hmm. future looks like. What you're giving mm-hmm. me right now is almost like a totem or a tap into the history that I read about, you know, and mm-hmm. the way of life that is somewhat not as prevalent as it was. Growing up in Jamaica, a lot of what you said about mm-hmm. teachers and respecting your elders was definite. We did not want mm-hmm. the teacher to call the home. We did not want to ever get in trouble by our our neighbors could reprimand us. You know, it was a tribe. Right. All right, it was a tribe. Mm-hmm. And so you couldn't be out in the streets acting up because you wasn't home because you would still get. And so when I moved to the U.S. and then back to me now, when I moved to the U.S., mm-hmm. a lot of those personal experiences didn't, didn't stick. I could, mm-hmm. I would see kids cuss out teachers. I would see, um, just, you know, blatant disrespect or stuff that I was like, oh, my God, I'll never go home to that. My mom would chop me in pieces. And, of course, that, mm-hmm. too, that to your point, um, where the young man had the abusive father, you know, or the abusive parent, some of us grew up with parents that were abusive, but, quote, unquote, in a loving way. You know, they didn't want mm-hmm. you to do act out in the street, so they definitely looked to control you when you were home. And now... Mm-hmm. Obviously, they might have done it out of fear, out of love, out of a combination of the two. But a lot of what mm-hmm. it is right now, so if we fast forward into the 2020s or into the 2000s, and what I can understand, and with the advent of technology and the empowerment some of us blacks feel because of it, you know, mm-hmm. the respect for ourselves, back to that healing practice and back to how we can understand our mental health and a lot of the work that you, you, you've been doing is that you constantly go through time, but you have the same message. That's what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Because it, it doesn't change when it's talking about learning to love yourself first before you can love each other. It doesn't change mm-hmm. with the message that if you don't get right with yourself and understand the differences between you and your slave mind, per se, then you're going to constantly mm-hmm. be in this conflict with a society that was already conditioned to kind of put you down. There's no freedom here. There's freeing mm-hmm. the dumb. There's freeing the dumb, mm-hmm. but there's no free dumb. You know, you got to get mm-hmm. that. You got to make that work work for yourself. So there's really mm-hmm. no question. There's really just a continuation of understanding what you're saying. And I'm so enlightened by it in the sense that I was already clear that the, the mission doesn't end. You know, but there's so much layers to it. And when it comes to our mental yes. health, when it comes to our mental health, the focus is all for me has always been with me first. I never mm-hmm. thought like going to a doctor was 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 my answer, even though there's nothing wrong with seeing a psychologist. I I do it. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that initially, mm-hmm. in my society, to your point, what do you mean you're gonna see a doctor? Or what do you mean you're weak? Or what do you mean you can't do something like? This idea of mm-hmm. having to man up or just do it or mm-hmm. just just be better, you know, it's a double-edged mm-hmm. sword, but it can also yes, it free you as much as it mm-hmm. can also mm-hmm. constantly keep you in a negative space. And so how, you know, that might be a question for you too. You know, how, do you, how can you speak to today's kids or today's young men? If you had a, 
way to talk to a, a young man that was 20 and younger, or 25 and younger, even 30 and younger. What would you say to them about their mental health, about their practice of society? How would you help them? Well, we got a couple of uh, months I can tell you all about that. <laughs> but but uh, the short answer is that, you know, we have to meet people where they're at. I mean, we are so damaged as a result of living under these conditions for centuries now, both in the Caribbean and both on the, uh, uh, you know, uh, North American continent. We've had to deal with, with, with white supremacy. Yeah. Every day, in some form or another. So I mean, we're so damaged. We're we're out of our African minds, literally. <laughs> yep. So, 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 so we really have to recenter ourselves, reclaim who we are. And the best way for me to have done that was to, well, of course, you know, listen to my elders, gain with what wisdom I can from them, but to also do my own studies to really make the time to study who and what we are. You know, you know, through space and time. So being able to understand the history allowed me to have a better appreciation of, of what some of the uh, histories and struggles and and times of our people have been. I mean, that helped me to uh, place myself on a time continuum, understanding that this reality that we're in right now is quite different, quite different than what my, my parents went through uh, and my parents' parents, et cetera. Just yes. being able to kind of understand this existence for what it is today, but keeping it in a psycho-social historical perspective. It's not just what's going on to me because this is not anything new. And this has been happening, you know, forever um, uh, on, uh, uh, in the Western Hemisphere. But also being able to help, you know, young guys and young women understand how would their life be different if, in fact, um, they were not living under these conditions uh, of white supremacy? You know, how how much better uh, would we be off? You know, uh, what would our our personalities be like? You know, yes. What would our value system be like? So being able to get that grounded back once again in our history as a people. And to really understand that and appreciate and to respect that, because without knowing who and what we're connected to through our space and time, all we think is that all that exists right now is all there is. Yeah. And once again, we've been around for millions of years. Yeah, and it it kind of, well, it brought up a point Mm -hmm. real quick. It's like Mm -hmm. for us to think outside of the matrix, let's call it that, or outside of the box, we are... You, mm-hmm. you you mentioned being so out of our African minds that immediately, and I feel this is part of my conditioning, that if I were to think what would life be like outside of this, immediately I'm conditioned to think of teepees and loincloths. Like, uh-huh. And that's not I, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I'm not conditioned to uh-huh. think like what's actually happening in Ghana or in parts of um, Nigeria where they're using technology way more advanced than we are here. They have cities built up, and they're living in a technologically advanced society beyond what we're doing here. But yet my conditioning has brought me to to think that if I was to ask, and I tried even answering your questions, you know, without consciously doing it, if I'm like, oh, if, if, if America wasn't here or if I wasn't brought, it, brought up through slavery and stuff, what would life be like? Mm-hmm. And immediately, absolutely, I'm mm-hmm. thinking of, oh, well, I don't want to be carrying around spears and lungs. That's so, that's so proof that the conditioning is real. Because I know, I know tons of people that would do that and then look at me as if I'm wrong because they can't uh-huh. think outside of their white minds either. Mm-hmm. And there you go. That's, that is what, what has happened to us. We have drank the Kool-Aid, that poison Kool-Aid I talked about. Apparently. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's in our social conditioning for, from the moment we're born until we die in this country. And that's why, you know, when I hear the word freedom, I always like to ask the question, freedom from whom and freedom mm. from what, okay? And I would say freedom from white supremacy, okay? Because without that, you know, we could actually uh, ask the other questions about 
what we we what would we want to do? Where yeah. would we want to live? What would we want to build and create? You know, but first we have to ask, you know, freedom from what and from whom? And I mm-hmm. and and for me the answer is uh, freedom from white supremacy, white folk, <laughs> anything mm-hmm. associated with them. Um, so I, so I can have have the freedom to be who and what I am and to really experience my the, the totality of my uh, potential, you know, mm-hmm. and for others you know, to, to be able to be free from white supremacy, you know. Now, now of course, the, the issue is that um, it is in white folks' DNA to want to have power and control over other people and over nations. Oh, yes. I so, can see so, so that is totally, yeah, that, that is diametrically opposed to our human nature mm-hmm. and asking people. We are not to be dominated. True enough, nope. for the last uh, 500 years, they've had the upper hand, but we had the upper hand for thousands of years. Right. <laughs> 500 compared so, to okay, thousands so. of years is not, is not a thousands, balance. Thousands. This is why our history Absolutely. had to be ignored, burned, and deleted because any kind of reference to it, and it's in our nature. So the history books that were lost, we live them. And you can see That's that right. over, gener- over generations, those truths start manifesting in beings in people and it kind of leads mm-hmm. me to my somewhat to my last question if you if we may okay you know sure do you cry at all from Don't any cry. of this do you find time in solace do you meditate do you how do you reflect on it and how do you shoulder it i meditate i can't mm. say that i cry because when i was younger i did that was because i didn't understand now that mm-hmm. I understand, there's nothing to cry about. You know, because Powerful. that same energy that I could use doing that, I could use to figure out some solution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, do I emote? Yes. I can't say that I cry because it's like, no. When you don't understand deeply, you know, we can get such there. You know, and, and certainly, you know, crying is, uh, is something that, you know, that we all do for whatever reason, but... I don't cry about the circumstances that we're in because I know that's wasting energy for me. I need to be about uh, not not getting mad or getting sad, but getting even. Mm. And success is the best revenge. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. Success is, is the best revenge. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. So uh, you know these these folks and their agendas, white folks are going to be who and what they are because that's who and what they are. Yeah. And for us to expect any anything different than what they've done and who they are is like we're just trying to fool ourselves and that's just stupid. It's right. totally unwise. I mean, looking at at the at the history and the current reality, you know, they're 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 acting out because this is who and what they are, you know, uh, at mm-hmm. their core. So I think I think I'm for some of us encouraged. I think for some of us uh-huh. that's hard to digest. Um, and I know that, and I know that's a totally yeah. different conversation as well, too, because yeah. living here in Colorado, as we do, and you've been living here much longer than I have. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would say I came into Colorado in when it's a white dominant society, and from what I'm understanding mm-hmm. with you, it could have been more of a native dominated society that was growing into a white dominating society. You know, and the natives being the um, the Indians here as much as uh, the Africans that were already here because Colorado mm-hmm. has a very big and strong jazz and music history, which I did not know anything about outside of Colorado. Anytime I heard the word mm-hmm. jazz, I would, oh, Chicago, yeah, of course, up north, you know. Mm-hmm. I I mm-hmm. never would have considered Colorado as even a conversational piece and come to find out Dizzy Gillespie and all these guys would, this is their second home. They would come here, Uh you know, this was their renaissance. So it's proof that there is so much history um, and availability to who we are. And I ask the questions Mm -hmm. about the tears or how do you, you know, navigate or shoulder it all? Because back to my earlier or my beginning statement at the top of this interview, mindfulness, movement, and meditation, those are my three Mm -hmm. mediums to help me shoulder it all. You know, Mm -hmm. I meditate, I move my body and in a way I talk about it more instead of trying to bottle it up 
and it seems like uh-huh. those three those three pills are really a way to solve it for most of us. And so I want to thank you as well for sharing, you know, your insight with me because I I'm not going to lie, I still every now and then get really sad about what I see and what I understand mm-hmm. from what I see. Oh, yeah. And um there there are times in the past when I used to cry, just straight up cry because there was I felt there was mm-hmm. nothing I could do better than that. And the, the mm-hmm. idea of the success getting even came in over time and I definitely know it now as a as a good phrase to hold on to, but it is something that I continuously work with. You know, so um you say mm-hmm. you meditate. Is that something you've well, always done or is that something you no, recently it's, it's, mm. it's it's something I've done for a few decades. It's something I've learned to appreciate. Earlier or early on in my career, I didn't understand that. But I had to study. I mean, for me it's always it's been a evolutionary process. You know, the more I learn, the more tools I have to deal with, with this reality. And also pray. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not with, uh, someone who wears my uh, religion on my sleeve, but I believe in the creator. I believe in the higher being, whatever we, we call the creator or God or whatever, Yahweh, you know, Jehovah, you know, whatever it is. It's like I know that our ancestors have a very deep, close relationship with the creator because the creator created us first. Okay? So it's like, okay, that's very special. So on the spiritual level, being able yes. to, to really have uh, a good understanding of what that is for ourselves, that, that spiritual connection to the creator and to each other. You know, it's not just a, it's just it's just that one link. You know, it's, it's, it's to the creator and, and, and to the creature as well. You know, our connection with nature. Uh, all of that is really something that uh, keeps me uh, able to keep all of this in proper perspective, <laughs> okay? Yes. So I have a lot of tools that I use, you know, so it's meditation, it's prayer, it's also self-study, it's introspection, it's gaining more knowledge about who and what we are through space and time as a people. All that keeps me grounded. And also, of course, being in touch with, with our people as as you know as as much as I can in different places, you know. So you know, so, so it could be at the barber shop, which I don't go to anymore because I cut my own hair. <laughs> I'm bald. Yeah. Um, or you know, you know, it is it, it is where, wherever I find our people, I feel yeah. wonderful being in the all black space. I feel safer there than, than walking down the street, you know. Uh, yeah. And I tell you, I felt more more at home in Ghana. It's safer in Ghana when I was there, or uh, or in southern Kemet, or if you will, southern Egypt, where all the people around Aswan look just like us. Yes. It's like I felt very at home. So it was like being in that space where you don't have to deal with Caucasians and white supremacy, and so directly, it's like this is wonderful. I felt yeah, like no, I... Uh, after I retire. Uh, I may have to go to an all-black country just so I can get away from all this, all this bullshit you, I've had to deal with just, all my life. <laughs> you just opened the door to that other side, and we're <laughs> we're already an hour uh-huh. into this talk, and I've got, like, so much more I want to explore with you. You know, you, you've made light to something that's personal, personally happening in my experience, that I've been out here in Colorado for so long that when I go visit my family in Atlanta, there's this energy mm-hmm. of, like, being around so many black people at once that I didn't yeah. realize it, was, it wasn't there until it wasn't there, right, or until I came mm-hmm. back into it. And so I can only imagine what it's like touching the shores of Africa, first of all, then yeah. seeing Egypt and Kemet, first of all, and then being welcomed as if you're being welcomed back home. You know, like that. Yes. that it, it, everyone loves going back home to see their mom, but imagine going back to Africa to see your motherland. You know, like I'm sure... Yes. There's no words that can be put to that, um, but it's such a a joy in the lightest way, you know, in the lightest and heaviest way. It's such a joy, and I'm glad that you got to experience that because hearing your words, I get to live through that, and it is something that we all. It's strangely enough, we may have not, we may all never get there, but 
hearing each other's story always puts us there. It's such a strange way as Africans that when we we share our history, we become our history together. I don't know of any other culture that offers it so clearly, but we definitely can do that shit like nobody's business. And so, um, right on, because that is our connection with each other, mm. know, which which other people cannot understand. Then again, they don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> Unapologetically, that's yeah, not for them to understand. Right, that's right. right. Um, Dr. Tony, uh, Dr. Young, Dr. Anthony Tony Young. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, um, wow, such a great, such a great conversation. It, you you allowed me to go through time as much as get present with who you are and a lot of the work that you're offering, especially when it comes to um, what you're doing under, what is it called? It was called the Achieving Healthier Lifestyle, that LLC and that practice. And I'll definitely check out your website and it'll be a part of the show notes in this, um, this podcast interview episode. But you left us with the idea or with the truth that the more we go inwards, the more we seek through books and through conversations, the more we do that with each other, the more we can free ourselves and each other. So here's my doom and gloom question for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we ever going to get free? Oh, absolutely. Powerful. Absolutely, without a doubt. Without, without a doubt. Uh, just like, you know, for uh, thousands and thousands of years, we didn't have to deal with this mess. This has only been the last 500, so we'll get back to where we were, but we'll do it in a, in a much more powerful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's another conversation, but uh, <laughs> part of what, what would help us is, is, of course, having those conversations, being involved with the emotional emancipation circles, having like study groups about our history and our culture, having more spaces that we create where we can be who we are culturally, and being able to avoid all of the ways in which white folks have divided us by religion, by uh, social status, and all that other mess they come up with. It's like, we just have to just be who we are. And to create that African space where we can do that and be on the same page with each other. But that's something that we have to do. That's, that's, that's no one's going to stop that from happening, okay? We just yeah. have to have the will to do it, you know. Uh, uh, so when we uh, hang up, I'll send you the uh, the website for the Denver uh, Rock Mountain Association of White Psychologists. We'd love, love for you to, to check that out. And, oh, yeah. You know, get some Most idea definitely. about the type of things that, that we've been involved with for these last 45 years because, you know, I'm a, I'm a senior. I'll be 70 in a few months. Mm. So it's like uh, I know that I have more years behind me than in front of me. So yes, sir. Uh, you young bloods, you know, I have to step it up. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. I I, I consider forty okay. old, but it don't matter. I I'm sure I've got another thirty more years on me. Maybe hopefully, maybe I'm right down the center. I got another. I've completed forty two. I've maybe got another forty two uh-huh. under my belt. Uh-huh. But the goal, the goal going right. forward for me is to is to be the change in to possibly be like you, you know, be someone who can say that a lot of my work has been that. Um, I know I have some catching up to do. So I, I thank you so much for all that you've done because you now are a leader in my book and a way to someone I can know to look towards when it comes to getting better and doing this work. So thank you so much for, for being you, essentially that young little boy from the south side of Chicago. Hey, brother, my pleasure, and I'm happy to have the opportunity to, uh, you know, share this time with you, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll, you'll do for the young people what the older folks did for me and continue to do, because I have elders who, who still call me young bloods because they're in their <laughs> 80s and 90s, okay? So, so, so it is all relative, really, yes, okay? Yes, Well, I'm going to definitely start with the center. I'm going to start with the Center of African-American Health on top of your work. They have that barbershop talks, um, I think, every third Tuesday in the month or something like that. Uh, so I'm going to do my best to be a part of that community because I did see how important it, um, it can be for myself. 
and then I'm sure mm-hmm. it'll benefit as as going forward. So you'll definitely, I'm motivated to do that, and I will take a look into your work as well. Um, personally, I'm trying to get better into the mental health space and even offer myself mm-hmm. as a clinical practitioner and you know service offerer. So I um mm-hmm. I I. Just know that this is the beginning, and I just want to let you know thank you, um, and I'll be looking into your work as well. Okay, great. In the meantime, hey, my brother, stay well and stay blessed. Stay blessed. Thank you so much, Dr. Tony. You have a great one. Okay. You too. Bye. Peace.